Hello and welcome to Foundation Stones from Refuge City Church. Having a solid foundation for our walk with Jesus Christ is vital for every Christian, especially in the times we live in. Through God's word, candid conversations, and everyday application, the aim is to help you build your foundation so you can stand strong for God every day. Buckle in and prepare your heart. Pray this, God, ready my heart for your truth that I might be more like you. We hope today's episode empowers you to grow in your walk with Jesus. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Foundation Stones. I'm your host, Jim Weaver. I'm the worship and the administrative pastor at Refuge City Church. I'm excited to be back with you today, and I want to give you a very simple message that I have entitled Victory. Victory, what an amazing word. I'm so thankful that we have the victory in Christ But knowing that we've got victory in Christ isn't always as helpful to our human intellect when we're walking through trials and battles and struggles. But I've been in 1 Peter 5 lately, and I saw some things in here that I knew were an encouragement, first of all, to me, and second of all, that I knew would be an encouragement to you. And so if you would pull out your Bible or maybe the app that you use on your phone to read God's word, I'd like for you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. And as you do, let me give you just a brief background, just so you have an idea of where the Apostle Peter is starting from in his discourse in chapter 5 to the people that he's writing to. 1 Peter chapter 5 is specifically addressed to the elders of the church, to those who are called to lead, those who are called to influence people for Jesus. And really, it's at any age because he addresses the elders, but he also addresses those who are younger. As I read through 1 Peter chapter 5, it was amazing to me how much it resonated with our current times because God has called each one of us to influence somebody for Christ and he's called many of us to be a leader or an influence in the church to draw people close to him and to lead them in relationship and growth coming to the fullness of the measure and the stature of Christ as Paul says in the book of Ephesians. And as I was reading through 1 Peter 5, I I just realized that, you know, sometimes the strategy and victory of God looks a little bit upside down to our carnal way of thinking. It's in direct opposition to what we think it might be. You know, we're used to exerting power and force. We're used to demanding allegiance. We're used to being affrontive and argumentative and confrontational. And we expect sometimes that leadership and influence has to do with how much power we can exert rather than how much grace and humility we can operate in. I recognize that our human nature sometimes taints our view of how God has set up his kingdom. God's kingdom, if you would allow me the liberty of saying it like this, is an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom that actually calls those who have the influence to serve those who are being influenced. In our culture, it's usually the other way around. The person who is the biggest personality in any given situation usually stands at the top of the pyramid and everybody runs to them. But God's actually called us to wash one another's feet, to serve one another, to actually bring the love of God to somebody in tangible, humble ways to influence them towards the love and the power and the might and the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that you're always going to be a doormat. No, that isn't what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that leading somebody to Christ and leading somebody in Christ is an act of great humility. Let's pick up our context in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Peter says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, 
Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So the first thing that I want to point out to each one of us listening to this scripture today is that Peter is not just telling the elders to humble themselves, and he's not just telling the younger people to humble themselves. He actually says, all of you humble yourself. All of you clothe yourself with humility. All of you humble yourself with the willingness to be used by God in whatever position or posture you find yourself in. I think that's an incredibly powerful point because sometimes we expect others to humble themselves and to make concessions for us, but we don't want to do the same for them. And Peter is encouraging the church. If we all walk in humility, we're going to walk in a greater victory. Can I just tell you today, this message, this teaching, I've entitled Victory. And this victory that comes to us by being Christ-like and by doing things the way that God has called us to do it is not something that is something that's available to us even in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our errors, in the midst of all of the opposition that comes. You see, as I read through 1 Peter 5, I'm reminded of the many conversations that I've had with people that get very frustrated that the church gives any mention whatsoever to the devil. Now, of course, we don't want to give undue credit to the devil for anything, but for me to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to you and not mention that there is a demonic strategy against the church, I would be remiss. God has made it very clear that we have an adversary. If you read through the gospels, you'll find that Jesus encounters demonic activity regularly. And so why would we find any difference in our day and age if we are about the business that Jesus was about? that we would or would not encounter demonic activity. Of course, we're going to encounter demonic activity. If we are about the good news of Jesus Christ, the enemy is going to put up a fight. And so Peter is not addressing this as if you encounter opposition from Satan. He's basically telling us we're going to encounter opposition from Satan. And so instead of us putting our head in the sand, we have to be well-equipped. We have to be a people who are walking in victory. And the way we walk in victory is to know Jesus, to know the truth, and to let the truth set us free. When we have the truth, that means lies are demolished and Satan has nowhere left to hide. 
So I see a couple of principles in 1 Peter 5 that I want to instill in us today. Would you look at these with me? The first one that I see here is in verse 6. It says that we are to humble ourselves. Peter says, humble yourself. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. I think it's really interesting the words that Peter chooses to use. He says, submit to God under the mighty hand of God. What does that mean? Under God's hand means that we are under his control. It means that we are under his authority. It means that we are submitted to his way, that we have determined we're going to live our life the way that God has called us to live it. And when God says yes, we say yes. When God says no, we say no. When we deal with anything in our life that is in opposition to God, we choose to obey God over obeying ourselves or obeying our carnal lusts or even the things that are going on in the world around us. He says, submit to God. He says to submit to him under his mighty hand, under his mighty hand. I want the hand of God to be placed firmly on my head and whatever God says goes. Whenever God says no, I stop short because I want to be submitted to God. He says this in this verse that when we are submitted under God's mighty hand, that at the proper time, he will exalt us. Nobody really likes this idea of humility. Nobody likes this idea of the potential of being humiliated or being in a place where we are lower than our flesh likes to be. But the Bible says that if we will submit to God in due season, he will lift us up. Now, when you think about influencing people for the Lord, many times what we desire in our flesh is when we influence them for the Lord, we're actually getting a little of the credit for ourselves. Look what I did for the Lord. Look how I influenced all those people for the Lord. Look at how many people I led to the Lord. Look at how much fruit was produced through me for the Lord. And that's exactly what Peter is instructing us not to do. God gets the glory. God is mighty to deliver. And we simply do what he has called us to do under his hand. And then this is what it says. At the proper time, he may exalt you. And so as he's talking to elders, as he's talking to leaders, people who are influencing or leading people in Christ, That exaltation could be a confirmation of your influence or maybe some recognition for your contribution or maybe even the fruit of your effectiveness will start to be seen as authentic. Now, what's amazing about that is that that reminds me of the crowns that the elders wear while they are around the throne of God in the book of Revelation. But the Bible says something very significant. It says that those elders take their crowns off their head and cast them before the feet of Jesus. So anytime God even exalts us, it's only to give him the glory in return. So it's a cycle. We submit to him. He exalts us in due time. The crown that we receive is then cast at his feet again in humility so that once again, the cycle can start over. So Peter's saying in verse six, humble yourself. Just Do what God's called you to do and don't do it for the accolade of man or even the accolade of God. Just do it because it is the right thing to do. And in the right moment, God will exalt or confirm your authentic service to the king. Then Peter moves on in verse 7. He says that we're supposed to cast our cares. Verse 7 says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know, when we're trying to do something for the Lord, 
Sometimes it can feel very heavy. Sometimes we can feel anxious. Sometimes we can feel afraid. Sometimes we can feel nervous. Sometimes the cares of this life and the things that we have to do and the things we're responsible for or the things that are unknown that we're right in the middle of can be overwhelming. And Peter's telling us if you submit to God and he begins to exalt you, make sure that you cast your cares, your concerns, your worries, your fears, your anxieties on the Lord. And this is why. Because he cares for you. See, sometimes the cares of influence are great. Sometimes the things that God has called us to cause our hearts to tremble. We need to cast those cares on God. And it's because God cares for us and the weight we are carrying matters to him. He never expected us to carry our burdens alone. And so if we expect to walk in victory in Christ, I want to declare to you that your victory is not more noble if you carry the trouble all by yourself. Somehow in our culture, we have this independent mindset that says, hey, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to make sure everybody sees me suffer. And then when the victory comes, I'm going to get the glory because of how hard it was for me to do that. I know that sounds toxic because it is. But if we were transparent, we would say, you know what, that's probably why I try to carry a lot of what God has called me to do, or even the cares of this life, on my own. Because I really want people to notice how strong and how incredibly wise or noble I am. Can I just tell you? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Make sure that you cast your cares on the Lord. Let other people come alongside and lift you up, and for certain, Make sure that the Holy Spirit is bearing your burden with you. Surrender your cares, your worries, your anxieties to the Lord, for he cares for you. You know, the more that we try to shoulder our own load, the more we're actually likely to fail. And somehow, we kind of forget that from the last failure we had, that maybe if I would have let someone walk this with me, I wouldn't have tripped or stumbled quite so bad. So first, Peter is telling us to cast our cares because he cares for us. And then he continues into verse 8 with a very, very interesting verse. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What interesting phrases that the apostle Peter chooses to use here. He says, be sober-minded. I like that word sober-minded because in our culture, we think of being sober as being out from underneath the influence of alcohol. And really what sober-minded means is that our mind is under control. Our mind is not being interfered with by an outside source. And so we're supposed to be sober-minded. We're supposed to think straight. We're not supposed to be influenced by all the voices and opinions of man around us. He says, be sober-minded. Think straight. In Romans, it says that we are to be renewed in the thinking of our mind. And so what that means is that we've got to get with God. We've got to get in his word so that our mind is thinking straight so that we're thinking sober. And then when we're thinking sober, we continue on into his next phrase. He says, be watchful. Some versions actually say, be vigilant. Be vigilant. Don't let your guard down. You got to be paying attention. If you're thinking straight, you're going to notice when things are off. Pay attention. Be watchful. And then you can recognize your own weaknesses, your own temptations, and also the things around you that would try to trip you up. 
And this is why. Because continuing in that verse, we see that Peter tells us the devil, Satan, is prowling around. He's hunting. He's on the hunt, looking for a place that is going to give him access to destroy the work of God by destroying the sons and daughters of God. I have often thought about permissions that we leave open in our lives, kind of like the handles on a car. Out in front of the church, we've actually got a pretty slow-moving road. Of course, any traffic is dangerous, but the cars are moving slow enough right out of the stoplight that if you really wanted to, you could probably leave the crosswalk and grab a hold of somebody's vehicle by the handle on the door. And of course, you'd probably be drug along for a while. But the point is, is you could grab a hold of that car. But you know what? If the handles were retracted, if there was nothing to grab onto, then that car would get away without you being drug along with it. Funny analogy, I know, but that's the image I get when I think about the fact that we have things in our life that give Satan permission to remain in our life. And so is there something in your life that's like one of those handles? that Satan seems to keep grabbing onto it. Maybe it's a temptation. Maybe it's something that's going on in a relationship. Maybe it's an unforgiveness. Maybe it's a certain program you like to watch on TV that seems to keep bringing images to your mind that torment you later. I don't know what it might be, but think about that. What are some of the things in your life that are like handles and it seems like Satan keeps grabbing on? You know why he keeps grabbing on? Because you are leaving the handles out there and he's on the hunt. He's looking for a way to grab a hold of your life so that he can influence you negatively against God. And so we've got to be watchful. Don't let your guard down. The devil's prowling around. He's hunting. You've got to withdraw those handles. You've got to lock your doors. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I think it's funny whenever I've heard of somebody locking up their house at night, they got all their lights off and every door is locked and they feel safe and secure. And then the next morning they wake up and they go out to their vehicle and they realize that the garage door had been opened all night long and everything was wide open for anybody to take. The burglar couldn't get into the actual living room, but all of the great tools and even the car itself was vulnerable because the garage door was open. We thought the doors were locked, but the garage door was open. And so we got to make sure that all of the doors to our spirit man are locked. Our temptations are gone. The things that we would let into our eyes or our ears or into our relationships have been well fortified to make sure that the strategies of that roaring lion no longer take effect in our life. But I want you to notice something in this verse that's so powerful. It actually says that he's like a roaring lion. And it actually gets me a little bit excited because, really? He only resembles a roaring lion. Satan only resembles a roaring lion. He's impersonating a viciousness that he cannot have unless we give him his teeth. Let me explain. I get this picture of Satan having a set of dentures that are only available to him if we give him permission to use them. And so he's prowling, he's hunting, he's looking for access. And maybe it's a temptation to get angry, or it's a temptation to withhold forgiveness, or it's a temptation to cheat in some way, or whatever it is. And so we indulge in that thing, and all of a sudden, it's just like we slid his dentures into his mouth, and now he can bite us. Now he can have access to our life. So here's my encouragement to you. He's only like a roaring lion. So, friend, don't give him his teeth. Don't give Satan his teeth. 
Don't bite on the things that he's wanting you to bite on. Don't give him access to your life by doing things that God says we should turn our back on. So it says that he's like a roaring lion and he's seeking someone to devour. In fact, some versions of the Bible say he's seeking someone who he may devour. Basically, Satan is looking around at God's people, looking for permission, looking for someone who will give him a handle, looking for someone who will put his dentures back into his mouth. And so here's my encouragement. Don't give Satan any permission. Don't give him his dentures. Don't give him a handle. It says in the next verse, in verse 9, it says, resist the devil. Don't give him permission. And if there has been permission, renounce it. Ask for forgiveness and let God have access to the deepest places of your heart so that the devil has to flee. First Peter 5, 9, it says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I love this. God really does empower you and I to walk in victory. Sometimes we have a victim mentality when it comes to our Christianity. We think that life just happens to us and Satan just happens to us and demonic things just happen to us and sin and temptation just happen to us. And it's like we just roll over because we're a victim and say, oh no, I'm under attack. Can I tell you, friend, God has given you the authority in Jesus Christ to stand in the victory and triumph of the resurrected Jesus Christ, the cross that took our sin and the grave that reveals our victory belongs to you. God gives you permission to say no to the devil. If you're in Christ, you can stand firm in your faith. Peter just told us this in verse 9. Don't get pushed around. You're not being accosted by the devil in a way someone else hasn't also experienced. This is what he says. The same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Pull together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray and resist the devil and he will flee from you. You have the victory in Christ. Don't let the devil push you around. Through the blood of Jesus, through the triumph of the cross, and through the declared fact of the open grave, you have the victory. You have the triumph in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you again, friend, you have the victory if you know Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Look what it says in verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And then, I love this, in verse 11, Peter takes a little doxology. He says, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So can I tell you today, you have the victory. Isn't that good news? Isn't that amazing to know that you have the victory? Now, some of you hear this today and you don't necessarily feel like you have the victory. I want you right now to just reach out and grab this truth by faith. It doesn't matter how we feel. It matters what God's word declares. If you've got a handle that's allowing the enemy to hang on, if you've given the devil some dentures, it's time to remove that permission. Just go before the Lord and say, in the name of Jesus, I repent. I renounce those handles. I do not want the things of this world. And I renounce the secret and shameful ways so that Satan has to go. And the Bible says that you've got the victory and the triumph of God. You are victorious. In Jesus' name. So, friends, let me tell you persevere. God's grace is coming for you. 
He is coming to restore. He's coming to confirm you. He's coming to strengthen you. And he's coming to establish you. So don't give up. Put the scripture today in your foundation. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Resist the devil. And allow God to establish and confirm and refresh and renew you today. The Bible says that you are more than conquerors through him who loves you. So friend, I love you so much. Thank you for being with me today on Foundation Stones. And until next time, walk in victory, add victory to the foundation stones in your life. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us next time for another deep dive into the foundation stones of our faith in Jesus Christ. For more information about Refuge City Church or to join our giving team to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ moving forward and making resources like this podcast available into the future, visit refugecity.church.